G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast as we uh, draw to the uh, conclusion of this mad, mad footy fest. This is a uh, part round 11 review and a round 12 preview. As I say, a very good morning to my co host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? My head's spinning. What day is it? What was that movie? If it's Wednesday, it must be Paris or something. I don't know. It's. it's I am really only differentiating the days, Rowan, by games of football. Everything else is the same. Well, I, I feel like uh, if it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, it must be Metricon Stadium. I got to know that ground pretty well over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's starting to show. Do you reckon it's starting to show a little bit of um, wear and tear? I do. But fair, enough, I noticed, fair enough. I know. Yeah, I noticed that last night down on the uh, the TV side wing. Yeah, certainly yeah that's what I thought. Barren. Uh, it stood up pretty well though, and uh, hopefully everyone listening to us has stood up pretty well. I'm feeling the pinch a bit. I've got to be honest. Uh, look, I've enjoyed it, um, but uh, boy, it's been a lot of footy, and there's been some calls for this to be a regular part of the calendar. It, I don't know if the body can take it, Fanny. Do you reckon you can watch this much footy as a rule? <laughs> I thought the footballers' bodies. Oh, Rowan, I can watch this and more. I watch, I watch football, then I go straight to some World Series cricket for my afters. Watched an interesting game last night, 1990. Australia was taking on New Zealand. Then Australia-West Indies in 95. They're all good fun. They get me to bed. And one thing that has been odd during this um, football marathon is my wife's inability to comprehend it. Every night at about 7 o'clock, she asks the same ridiculous question. Is there footy on tonight? I said, there's footy on every night, Natalie. There was 20 days consecutive football. She said, yeah, I know, but tonight, again, uh, eventually she'll get a... She'll get a, no, there's no football tonight, and I'm sure I'll be lumbered with some onerous task. But at the moment, football is my saviour. Well, I'll tell you one thing I can keep doing, Finey, and that is eating hamburgers. <laughs> Can't we all? Look, I've been pressed into some uh, culinary action at home, and I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, but I enjoy one thing even more, and that is returning with bounty. It's like I go out as, as the um, sort of... Apex male, the hunter-gatherer. Well, the hunter. The wife's the gatherer. She gathers the money. And I go out and hunt down a meal. And in 2020, that means coming back to expectant, cherubic faces, broad smiles, because it's not my cooking, it's Andrew's hamburgers. A guaranteed crowd pleaser in the fine household. Luckily, we're in the 5K range. And that means beautiful burgers and dad is welcomed home. 
happy, happy children when I come back with the burger order, let me tell you from Andrew's hamburgers. They dive into the chips because they're ravenous, of course. They can't wait to start eating. And then those burgers just go down a treat. It's one way to keep sweet with the family during these testing times, Rowan. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. You, you mentioned fine household. How could I uh, create a fine household for myself? Well, why not go to Nick Spartel's of West Point Properties? Now, your house is on a valuable block of land. I've been there, Rowan. It's much sought after. I wouldn't say it's ramshackle, but it could do with a, a touch-up here or there. It's, it's got the body of brilliance, but maybe internally... If Nick Spartel's West Point got a hold of it with his magnificent underground heated floor, slate floors, beautiful new kitchens, floating staircases, that's right, even for you, Rowan, all of a sudden you'd be living in the lap of luxury. I tell you, West Point Properties, Nick Spartel's is your man. Oh, sounds enticing. Well, we have got a lot to get through, reviews, previews and You name it, we'll talk about it. Uh, Let's not waste any more time. Let's get straight into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. All right, uh, well, plenty of footy games to watch, plenty of footy news around at the moment as well, probably not surprisingly. Uh, One interesting story in The Age this morning, finally from Jake Nile, and it concerns how this season's final system will operate and he's reporting clubs that earn a home final may have the opportunity to nominate their preferred venue from a list of available grounds Uh, says that the AFL um, could look at a system the higher ranked team would state a preference for playing at a particular stadium Uh, Bearing in mind, of course, Victorian teams uh, little to no hope of hosting home finals in their own state. Uh, So we're talking about Gabba and uh, Metricon Stadium. Uh, We're talking about Adelaide Oval. We're talking about Optus Stadium. Um, Is TIO on the list? No. Uh, not from what I can see, but I wouldn't be ruling anything out. But I've got to say, my instinctive response to that is I like it. Uh, I was thinking about this yesterday and I, I wrote uh, a column for Australian Community Media, which is up online at the moment. But I think one of the things that's come out of this season is that uh, all things are possible. We've certainly seen that this year. And I think now, uh, having realised that all things are possible, it's going to be hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Now, if you're worried about integrity of the competition, which I think we both are, we're football purists, uh, the grand final issue is one that has increasingly gnawed away at me a bit because I think it's uh, arguably the most important issue we have. And I know the AFL's locked into an MCG grand final hosting contract until... 2057, uh, and I suggest we'll probably be just about gone by then. But, uh, you know, I think in the interests of competition fairness, this is something that needs to be addressed. And certainly this season, given the various logistical obstacles, I think what's being proposed there absolutely makes sense. How do you see it? 
First of all, 2057, we'd both be in the very nervous 90s, wouldn't we? Yeah, no, I'll be gone, mate. I'll be long gone by then. No, mate, no. Don't say it. Maybe. Me too. So, first of all, uh, just pairing it back, the idea of choosing a home final based on ladder superiority seems very fair this season. And the entire season seems fair. Sort of thrust upon the AFL has been a need to uh, disregard contractual obligations, and that would have been forgiven by the uh, contracted parties because it's impossible to host a grand final at the MCG under current COVID laws in the state of Victoria, specifically for Melbourne. We are in lockdown four with no sign of that being eased and when it does it will not go back straight to open slather of course also we've had a 17 game season thrust upon us everybody playing each other once very fair so I like that expression the genie's out of the bottle and I feel as though it depends whether or not the broadcaster has reaped a bonanza and they probably have because of the captive market that they've got but could we possibly see an ongoing interstate rotation of finals based on who finishes on top? And could we also see a 17-game season in the future, Rowan? I'd like well, both. The, I would like both. Yeah, well, the, uh, the <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, what, two years ago, uh, I noticed yesterday, Paddy Dangerfield, obviously president of the AFLPA, occupies a fairly important position. Now, two years ago, Paddy was of the view that um, we should be aiming for fewer games than 22, given the wear and tear on players. Well, interestingly, he's done a complete about-face, and he was quoted on radio the other day saying that they should consider a 27-game season uh, and with shortened games, because he obviously, and I, I presume a lot of his teammates, are feeling like they're uh, more able to back up off uh, shorter preparation, given the shaving of 20-odd minutes off the game week. So I'd be taking that view pretty seriously. They're the guys at the coalface that have to do it. So that's another interesting one as well, because, again, talking about integrity, uh, we're never going to get everyone playing each other twice in a 34-game season. But 27, you know, you're talking about seven or eight teams playing each other twice rather than just five at the moment. So... When I say, you know, everything's up for grabs, uh, there's another example. And I, it certainly is. And I don't know if you feel like I do, Rowan, but I'm no longer that conscious of the shorter games. I guess it took some adjusting sort of the body clock, the football watching body clock was a bit out for the first, say, five rounds. But I now feel that they're normal quarters, don't you? Yeah, no, I have to agree. I've definitely got more used to it. I mean, my concern was always the disparity in statistical terms. You know, how do we reconcile the different numbers that we get with these league games as opposed to what we've known for yeah, of course. so long? But, um, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, I, I put it this way, if, if that was to enable us to play more games a year, uh, I instinctively, I think I'd probably tend to be in favour. So both these uh, debates, I guess, are good examples of how COVID, in one sense, has really changed the equation uh, and a lot of, you know, really significant um, 
foundations of, of the competition we have. So I'm not saying it's necessarily a good thing, but uh, it's certainly expedited change. There's no doubt about that. Yep. All right. Uh, another story uh, in the age today. This one's from Sam McClure and uh, concerns the future of Essendon star Joe Danaher. And I think this bobbed up a while ago, but it's it's bobbed up again. And uh, Brisbane emerging as a potential suitor for Joe Danaher. Haven't formally approached him, um, but could potentially be a target of theirs in the trade period. Uh He's a restricted free agent uh, at the end of his season. Means Essendon can match a contract offer to him and force a trade. But uh, I don't know. Are we going to see him? I mean, some reports last night that he's uh, just about to uh, put foot to turf in a, a scratch match. And uh, maybe he's only a week or two away from, uh, from fronting up for the Bombers. I wonder if news like this might actually expedite that process as well. What do you make of this? Well, that uh, adds another layer of intrigue, doesn't it? You know, one thing that hasn't been factored in is... Now, do you know Joe, particularly through your time at Essendon? Oh, not not super well. I mean, he's a, he's a nice guy. Uh, I know... I know his mum and dad a bit, yep. um, but, you know, I wouldn't presume to think on his behalf, that's for sure. No, and how he thinks is very important. Now, he's part of a very famous football family that has a foot in either camp, Essendon and the Sydney Swans. And so far, there's nothing to suggest that he won't be in one of those camps. So I, I just think Brisbane is a bit of a red herring whether through mm. managerially, whether just, you know, something to maybe keep us off the golden trail. And I don't know why Brisbane's being thrown up. I can't see them going super hard for Joe Danaher. Wouldn't they have their own contractual commitments with players coming into their next contract looking for more money? They've got a, a, a good team that will need to be, um, you know, the band needs to stay together. And normally on these journeys, gee, you'd, you'd, yes, Tom Lynch was a great pickup for Richmond. You know, they'd already won a flag. I just wonder whether, you know, that would be the savvy mood by Brisbane. And they don't appear to be a team behaving in that sort of manner anyhow. I, I, I doubt it. Well, it's interesting too, given they've got Eric Hipwood and... Daniel McStay. I mean, you look at uh, you look at potential suitors, and Sydney is the one that, uh, apart out. from yeah, exactly. With uh, you know, Buddy Franklin apparently unlikely to play at any stage this season, and Sam Reid very injury prone and getting on. So um, yeah, we'll watch that space. Of course, we're going to see plenty more trade type speculation beyond that story. Um, and just to finish off this segment, uh, you spotted something of interest the other day, Fanny, and it was uh, former North Melbourne Premiership coach and player, Dennis Pagan, suggesting it uh, might be time for his old club to do a bit of a rebuild. Yeah, maybe even bottom out. He's taken time away from his very successful foray into horse race training with Frankie Two Angels, I think it's called, and it's going very well. He's had his first win already in that Horses already been placed at stakes level, so well done him. But I think what he's saying makes 
good sense, but I don't think you'll have to encourage North Melbourne to bottom out. They'll do it for you just by dint of their list. I think what he's suggesting is, and something North has already, I think, been canvassing is if there's a suitor for Ben Brown, take it. If there would be a suitor for Jack Zebel, take it. Don't know if there would be, given his physical limitations, medical history there. Uh, you keep a Ben Cunnington, he's sort of a life and soul type player. And maybe a couple of others that you would have certainly been hanging on to might be shopped around a little bit, like an Atley, maybe a Durden. There's a few players there that seem to be marking time a bit. And let's face it, Port Adelaide have made a very strong case for investing heavily in a single draft and turning around your club's fortunes. Now, it doesn't always work out like that. You're not always going to get Butters, Rosie, Dersma and Georgiadis, but if you're well invested in a draft and you believe you've got good intel and there's enough depth there in your range of picks, then I think North Melbourne, it's time for them to do what they probably have not been able to do either financially, members-wise or even emotionally, and that is let go a bit and just, you know, sink to the bottom before floating back up. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for them in a way because, you know, if if this happens, uh, they will probably cop some flack about the amount of players they've brought in from other clubs. But I feel like a lot of those players that they've brought in have actually done pretty well for them. And I mean, in the most recent crop, you know, you're talking about uh, Jared Pollock, uh, Jasper Pittard, um, Aaron Hall, you know, starting to show a bit more for them. You know, prior to obviously Sean Higgins been wonderful for them. Yeah. Uh, Nick Del Sando was good for them. So, to a point, they, think, this is all yeah. to a point, though, isn't it? Not really a yeah, premiership. I, 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 yeah, no, that's true. But I guess the point I'm making is it's a very inexact science, this. And I think, you know, if it becomes clear they have to load up on kids, it doesn't necessarily mean the previous strategy was an abysmal failure. And people tend to talk about these things in absolutes. And I think recruiting as a science more than most things in footy is far less an absolute than just about anything you care to know. What has been an abysmal failure for them has been their attempt over the last five years to lure a big star to the club. You know, they've unfortunately gone public with trying to get Josh Kelly, Dylan Scheel, even Tom Lynch. They were out in the early rounds there, but certainly they were in Josh Kelly for a, a fair while and they invested a, a great deal in getting one big name star and hopefully the dominoes would then fall. And it seemed as though they were not only taking a lot of um, sort of uh, interest in those players, but a lot of time was spent during trade week seemingly trying to land these big fish and none of them came, did they really? No, no, it's been a, a recurring theme and uh, yeah, a bit of a chicken of the egg thing here because, uh, you know, you, I guess players more interested in going to a bigger club. How do you become a bigger club? Yeah. Um, so, look, I'd, I'd hate to be a recruiting person or a list, a list manager these days. It's, uh, it's a pretty thankless task. All right, uh, that is enough on the news front. We have got a stack of games to talk about. Let's do that now. On Footyology, wrap around. Okay, we wrapped up the first half of round 11 in our last episode. If you want to uh, catch up on that, you can find it there where you've found this episode. 
but four games remaining at that stage. And uh, they kicked off on... Now, here's where my uh, knowledge of which days when is catching me out. Uh, St Kilda Geelong was the first of them. What day was that, Fonny? That on was Monday, Monday wasn't yep. it? Oh, of course, the traditional AFL Monday night double header. Uh, so let's start with that. It was a big game. It uh, it certainly had people excited. Uh, didn't certainly uh, didn't really pan out that way because it was pretty one side the finish, and it was Geelong emphatic victors over the Saints by fifty nine points, fourteen goals nine ninety three, defeating a uh, pretty hapless St Kilda four ten thirty four. They were impressive. The Cats. For them on the goal front, two players shared nine goals. They were very dangerous. Tom Hawkins with five. Gee, he's in some terrific form at the moment. And my namesake, finally, Gary Rowan, weighed in with four. Sam Menegola, who was outstanding, uh, he chipped in with two. Singles the rest. And just four goals for the Saints. Two of them came to Phillips. Well, it was even in the first quarter. Geelong stole a bit of a march in the second with five goals to two. And uh, just one-way traffic after that, seven goals to just a measly four behinds in the second half. They look terrific, Geelong. I've got to say, finally, I'll throw this one to you, but it raised the question I often have raised with Geelong, which is their best is as good as anyone's. Are they capable of producing it three or four weeks in a row when it counts during a final series? I don't think so. That being said, they it looked like... You see, this is an interesting period. Now, this was a big reality check for St Kilda, but I wouldn't say the bubble has burst necessarily because I think in this 20-day period, especially for Geelong, who had 4-14, four and 14, you, you, you set a roadmap and you mark the games that are sort of the must-win, the eight-point games, and you put a flag in... You know, you put a pin in that one, and... I don't think St Kilda put a pin in that one, to be honest. Um, resting Zach Jones, not bringing back Seb Ross, resting Paddy Ryder. They may have been having a shy at the stumps, really, because you should be putting your very best team against Geelong, who clearly had had budgeted for this game in the previous game by um, resting three players. It's sort of Colin Jasney, Parfit, and one other key player came back. There was uh, sparse use of Dangerfield in the previous game. Oh, Rowan was the third player who came back into that side. And didn't he have a big say in that second quarter particularly? So this was a game that Geelong absolutely was well planned, had planned well. But regardless of what teams went on the field, Geelong actually uh, circumvented vented St Kilda and, and short-circuited, I should say, St Kilda's strength, which is drop of the ball in the forward line. The Butler and Hind were left barren by great... It was a great game by Mark O'Connor. He's not often mentioned, is he? But he played very well. Uh, as you said, Menegola, brilliant all around the ground. His depth running was fantastic. I, you know what? I'd love to have seen that game live to have actually seen the amount of ground he covered because there seemed to be well, a pair of men of goal eye. Well, just on that, uh, there was one moment where I think during the Fox coverage they actually showed that and it was a, a, a run of his, the length of the ground from up inside the forward 50, deep into the yeah, defensive yeah. 50. And, and he got a free uh, kick, I think. 
uh, intercept mark. Intercept and, mark. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the uh, St Kilda opponent running with him, but he was nowhere to be seen. No, no, so, yeah, he's a hard worker. Yeah, Blitzavs also covered the ground beautifully. They just played really well, Geelong. I mean, Tom Hawkins is in rare form, especially given the fact that this mathematically must be the last quadrant or last fifth, last last couple of years of his career. Well, probably not, because the way he's playing, he's got plenty of football left in him. They... Geelong won just about every issue. In fact, they did win every issue to the point where St Kilda was never in the game. They were hanging on by their fingertips at quarter time when it was two goals apiece. I mean, this was a game where St Kilda were second to the issue and they paid a big price with Jade Gresham unlikely to play for the rest of the season with a back injury. So they have to regroup. They've got an interesting game coming up against your mob. That will be a very interesting game. And... If St Kilda are to make the eight, they need to win it. Then they can sort of reload. It's a very important game because it seems as though they were holding something back for this Essendon game and that will only prove wise if they win it because that game against Geelong, that was a bridge too far that St Kilda did not fire a shot in. Geelong were great, don't get me wrong. Can they do it three or four weeks in a row? Well, you know what, Dangerfield's optimism about Longer, more games because of the shorter length makes one feel that maybe they are coping better than I would have thought. I don't think Selwood was much of a factor, so they got him to um, hang their hat on as well, don't they? Yeah, and a, a quick question to finish off on the Saints. A uh, lot of talk post-game about Brad Hill and his contribution and uh, why isn't he doing more? And in fact, uh, Brett Ratton, suggesting that uh, maybe he was being ignored a little bit too much by teammates. Uh, where, where's he at, do you think? No problems with Brad Hill. Brad, every time he gets a ball, he uses it beautifully, 90% of the time. Um, I, wish we were, I wish we were playing at the MCG every now and then, and, and even Telstra. These, were great, these are great grounds for him. You know, Brisbane's actually surprisingly small, as Jonathan Brown pointed out. Metricon's, you know, a really hard slog for a run, as we saw last night. Um, I think he's going fine. I've got no problems with Brad. I've got no problems with St Kilda. This is a team that's um, performed well above expectations, and all the new players have played a role, including Brad Hill. And uh, you know what? If the opposition think that he's underperforming, under par, and under under below quality then let him go. Then don't pay him attention for a quarter and see what happens because he's getting a lot of attention. So, no, no problems with Brad Hill whatsoever. Okay, that was the first league of the Monday night doubleheader. Let's talk about the second. So, from Queensland, we went to Western Australia and it was Fremantle taking on Hawthorne. Uh, late game this, if you're on the eastern seaboard, 8.30pm start. That takes us back to uh, a, a time in the distant past when they used to start night games at 8.30. Uh, and it was, uh, I think the Hawks might have tucked up in bed before it finished finally because they were uh, nowhere, well, no, they were to be seen, but uh, they weren't to be heard too much. In the end, a uh, sounds funny saying this, 16-point win to Fremantle, but a very, very comfortable 16-point win. 7-6, 48, 
defeating the Hawks, four goals, eight, 32, just the one multiple goal kicker for the Dockers. That was Matt Tabiner with two. Ditto for the Hawks, Luke Bruce with two goals. Uh, another game where victory was really set up in the opening turn. Three goals to one, the Dockers kicked in that period. Uh, one goal each in the second quarter. Another three goals to just two behinds in the third. Sealed the victory. Five goals the difference, basically, uh, come three-quarter time. And the Hawks added a couple of cheapies in the last quarter, but uh, never, ever really going to win this game. And as I say, I tipped Hawthorne. Particularly disappointing performance from them, I think, uh, they'd really impressed in the previous game in that uh, comeback against the Blues on the same ground. And they looked uh, positive and attacking and, and quick in that game. They showed none of that in this game. It was back to that sort of indecisive uh, pedestrian, slow ball movement, uh, not much up in attack. They looked very uninspired, I've got to say. And again, full credit to the Dockers after uh, being competitive but not winning early in the piece. They are starting to uh, rack up the wins and uh, they're doing it with good contributions from both senior players and some of the younger players in the lineup. And it was the younger guys who really stood up in this game, I thought. Uh, who are we talking about? We're talking about Brayshaw. We're talking about Chera. Uh, Caleb Sarong has really come with a rush. He's certainly added something to the mix. Uh, and then the sort of players that have been there for a while now and probably don't get enough kudos. And Luke Ryan in defence, very good example of that. He is a very good player, great judge, a great reader of the play. Uh, Nathan Wilson as well, great rebound job from him out of defence. So... It's starting to come together for the Dockers. They're uh, they're starting to threaten most teams and um, they're going to have a, a bit of a say, I think. Uh, even if they don't make it, they're going to have a bit of a say in how this final series is shaped. What did you make of this one? Uh, you know what? I'm surprised you tipped Hawthorne, Rowan, because like Shane O'Bree with his beard and Debrilis Demenkovic... South Australian Greyhound trainer with her face mask. You were ahead of the curve on Fremantle. When they were losing games early on in the season, you were quite bullish on them. Yeah. So I think, I know you only went off them just, you know, because you have a sort of deep respect for Hawthorne, having seen what they've done over most of your life. And that is respond at the right time with the right performance. But um, Fremantle, uh, really striking exactly the balance that Justin Longmuir would want because those wins early on in the season that they were able to craft or their better performances certainly came on the back of Fife and Walters leading the charge. This is a much better scenario, isn't it, where it's an even spread. Luke Ryan, as you say, an excellent player. Tabiner at target. By the way, 7-6 to 4-8, that's an under-12 score. That is exactly the sort of score you got from four quarters in decent weather, not wet weather, in decent weather, two evenly matched teams of good under-12 football. That is not... that that If that is the new black, then give me the old white. Yeah. Yeah, no, not, not great, but... Uh... The Dockers looking a lot better. That's uh, four from four wins from their last six games now. Conversely, the Hawks 
you know, we don't say this about the Hawks often. That uh, win against Carlton now appearing to be in a bit of a mirage. They have now lost five of their last six after yeah. winning three of their first four. So uh, are we basically ruling them out of the finals already, are we? Oh, if it was any other club, you wouldn't even discuss it. You, you're asking that question out of respect for Hawthorne, and it's, it's you know, have you been watching The Sopranos? Uh, I have it. That's one of those shows that uh, is on the to watch before I die list. Because oh, it's, uh, it's, it's running, it's running sort of day night at the moment on Foxtel's box sets, and I thought you were just uh, sort of paying your due respect to the New York clan, even though. <laughs> even though their head man, Carmine, is completely dittery and his son's a no-hoper, but you are still paying your respects. Well, it's uh, the, the words of Peter McKenna from so many games just uh, resound in my head, and that is, of course, oh, you just can't write the Hawks off. So a good win to the Dockers, and their good form continues. That was the Monday night double, and uh, then, of course, we moved to Adelaide on Tuesday night. Well, a bit of interest around this game too between Adelaide and Collingwood. Of course, Adelaide yet to uh, break the ice in 2020. Collingwood ravaged by injury, unavailability, suspension, you you name it. They've faced it this year, Collingwood, and it was seen as being a very big test of the Pies. In the end, though, one they passed uh, pretty comfortably with a 24-point win. Collingwood, 10 goals, 2, 62, defeating Adelaide, 5, 8, 38. Uh, you wouldn't have thought it was going to end up like that at half time because it was Adelaide in front. In fact, they were nine points in front. The Pies, by that stage, had only managed two goals, one, three scoring shots in a half of footy. But... Uh, Boy, did they turn that around in the third term. They came out all guns blazing and uh, rattled on five goals to just four behinds in that third term. And uh, these days, sadly, uh, for the Crows against them, that is about enough. And uh, final term playing out without incident for the Pies. Two goals to Trey Roscoe in his second game. Two to Stevenson. And two to Darcy Cameron, and some interesting questions raised there about uh, whether he might stay in that lineup. And for Adelaide, two to Tyson Stengel and two to Aaron Himmelberg. Uh, well, this uh, run of injuries has certainly tested Collingwood's depth, Finey, but uh, you've got to say, it's, uh, the answer has been pretty positive. Oh, yeah, really? I mean, you know, at halftime, they were facing... They, they were looking for blindfolds and cigarettes, they were about to face the firing squad if they lost to Adelaide. I mean, that would have been all hell to play whoever they put on the field. But they were able to... They realised something, and that is, you know, all we need to do is score because Adelaide really aren't a scoring team. Let's just get some goals and we can win this darn thing. And uh, they did... Darcy Cameron was a bit of a target, wasn't he? That was uh, encouraging. Stevenson finally showed a bit more. He's must be just in that team, the way he's gone this season. I know he came back, kicked a two, two and a three with some early goals in his first three games, but he's been notable in his lack of consistency. Um, Dacos is becoming a bit of a constant, but the biggest moment of the night was Lyndon Dunn's goal, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was, uh, well, I don't know if it was his goal or the revelation of his uh, uh, 1980s mullet. It was a, oh, that's a look. A, that was harvested. Yes, there's been some very rude heads on display this season. No, it was, um, yeah, it was great to see the way they got around him after he kicked that, obviously, a very popular man. Gee, he's been around the league scene a long time. I can remember, actually, his first season with Melbourne, watching him play in a pre-season game up in Darwin and thinking, yeah, this guy's not bad. That just feels like 15 years ago. In fact, it probably was about 15 years ago. He's been around a long time. And, of course, he's not the only one. Uh, Tim Broomhead coming back for the Pies too after uh, that shocking incident in that game against GWS at the MCG when he wrapped his leg around the goalpost. And, uh, wow, that feels like a long time ago too. So, Good to see from their point of view. Look, they've got, they've got, uh, you know, beyond the sort of cream on top, the pies. They've got some uh, real hard workers, haven't they? Guys that you don't talk about much, but they come in regularly and sort of do a job. You know, yep. I'm talking about the likes of Madgen. You know, he's another one, just gets the job done. Uh, Noble has come in and, and done that sort of role. Uh, look, they're seventh on the ladder, the Pies. They're only uh, a game behind uh, a spot or a game out of a spot in the top four. Yep. But you sort of, Pendlebury likely to come back for their next. You sort of feel like it's a, a race against time for them in terms of being a legitimate premiership contender. Do you think they're a chance of getting back to that stage? No, I don't think so. Um, like you say, you race against time and... I know, I just get a sense that they've probably got a few harder games ahead of them, don't they? They've had a nice little run. Yeah, what about Adelaide? Uh, everyone's asking this now on a weekly basis. Uh, will the Crows win a game? No. I say it every week, and you say they will. Well, I'll say it again. They will win a game. And uh, I've got to say, I'm increasingly less confident in that prophecy by the week, but I'm sticking with it. I mean, it looked like they got a couple more injuries. Dode? Um, yeah. Did his hammy, didn't he? Uh, a bit of a twinge, at least, I think. Yeah, and there, there was somebody else. I mean, they're having a bit of wretched luck on top of no players and no morale and Matthew Nick sort of sitting there just waiting for the season to unfold and then he can start to make the changes he wants to make. It's like he's it's a big audition to see who gets the boot. Yes, well, 11 losses from 11 and, of course, 14 losses in a row all up if you throw in the last three games yep. of last year. It's been a wretched period in the history of the Adelaide Football Club. No question about that. Yep. All right, that was Tuesday night and then one game to finish round 11 and that one came on the Wednesday night. Well, what a thriller this was, Finey. The second draw of this AFL season. Uh, cast your mind back to round two and that uh, turgid game between Collingwood and Richmond. This one certainly had a bit more pizzazz about it in the finish. Uh, it was quite a good game to watch, really. In the end, scores level 11, 7, 73. Each of two uh, been hanging out to say that this morning. Uh, between Gold Coast and the Bombers. For Gold Coast, two goals to Weller, two to King and two to Day. For Essendon, three goals to James Stewart, who uh, was very impressive in his, I think, third game back for the Bombers after a long-term layoff. Three goals to David Zarakis, 
two of them coming in last quarter and uh, the second of which saw him uh, strain a quad muscle. So unfortunately for him, he's uh, played a big part in, or at least breaking even on the night, but uh, we won't be seeing him for a few weeks. And two goals to Kyle Langford. And I must say, Fonny, as you do with draws when your team's involved, I sat back and thought about it for five minutes and thought, is this a good result or a bad result for my team? And uh, I still couldn't make up my mind. They certainly trailed for a good 90% of this game and uh, impressive comeback in that third term and again in the last. But uh, for all the dominance they had in terms of general play in the second half, couldn't really put it on the scoreboard. I'll, I'll say this, uh, positives on lesson in front. Uh, we know Jordan Ridley is just having an outstanding season. He must be the best and fairest winner, easily their best player last night, I thought. Andy McGrath, though, what a trooper he is. Ridley and McGrath, the standout players for the Bombers this year. Every week they give you something, and in McGrath's case, it was consistent touches and a game-saving smother off an attempted score by Brandon Ellis in those last five seconds. Stewart presented a, a target, a leading marking target, the first legitimate one of them the Dons have had for a long time. Merritt did what he does, won plenty of the ball. Use sometimes a bit questionable, but he won plenty of it. Dylan Shield was uh, pretty handy, I thought, one of his better games. And Darcy Parrish in the second half really had a role for the Suns. Uh, Lockie Weller, he's given them really good value since coming across some Fremantle. Doesn't get the sort of wraps that some of their other recruits have, but he's been important for them this year. Jack Bowes, getting better with each game of senior footy he plays. Uh, Greenwood and Ellis, speaking of those senior recruits, they were pretty handy. And Charlie Ballard in defence, handy for them as well. Uh, from a Gold Coast perspective, finally, do you think they'll be upset with this, given they led this game most of the evening? Yeah, they would be. This was one of the strangest games I've ever seen, Rowan. I'm telling you, Rod Serling had a hand in this one. This had Twilight Zone written all over it. What a in weird... What all right, first of all, Zaharakis, he barely touches the ball now. Look at his stats, six kicks, whatever. Kicked three really good goals. Said that after the second one, he felt his quad a bit and then gave it his all for the third one, as though he's not used to kicking two 50-metre kicks in quick succession. Strange way to go about your football, David, but they were beautiful kicks. I've got to admit that. Match winner, Wunderkind, genius, Isaac Rankin, actually was the match loser or drawer. Very strange decision. He took a mark. He should have pumped that to the top of the square and they would have had every chance of punching it through. You know, that that's exa- he was he took a mark 55 metres out and went back and virtually told the football world, I'm going to score on the final siren almost 60 metres out. That's, a, that's late in the game to be thinking you're going to do that. He took too much time over the kick. I don't think there's much yeah. question of that. Where's your head at? That was really strange. He sort of, after quite a brilliant start, kicked a beautiful goal, his, his radar went and he missed a couple. And he's still great, don't get me wrong, had an uncanny ability to get the ball. Look, Ridley is just magnificent. McGrath, fantastic. Shield, very good. Parrish, I thought, was good. Merritt, a lot of it, but a bit of a slaughterer. And James Stewart, good. 
And then, for Essendon, it really is a, a collection of bits and pieces that Gee, there was some strange football played around. Devon Smith, where is his head at? There was an important mark he should have gone for in the last in the third quarter, was it? And he just smacked, he kept the ball going volleyball style when Essendon were on top. And that was sort of why Day had a shot of goal after the siren. I don't know sometimes what he thinks. Yeah, they've got uh, the Bombers have got a few guys that uh, are Cutler's really a weirdo. Cutler's well, str- cut- he is yeah. strange. He did something really, I don't know, immature on a football field. He dropped a very easy mark. And yeah. fortuitously, because the player who picked it up after him double-clutched it, he got a holding-the-ball decision. After mm. dropping a must-take mark, did you see him fisting and, you know, how excited he was? Problem was he hadn't kicked it yet. Important shot, and he missed it. Kicked a wow. goal in the last quarter that was important, but that was just a strange bit of play for a guy that hadn't done a whole heap. Um, well, what? Uh, speaking of gestures, what did you make of uh, Tom Bell Chambers' double cobra? Yeah, and, and that, I'm asking about that. Hey, Tommy, yeah, well, baby, you're only in the team because they're taking it game by game with Sam Draper. Do your double cobras um, in front of the mirror, pal. Maybe, yeah. you know, that was that was odd as well. So... I've got to say, Redmond and Gleeson are not playing as well as they can, being covered a bit by Ridley, I feel. Um, Saad, not great. McConnor, I'm not sure in the forward line until that valuable dash that resulted in one of Zaharakis's goal. That was very good. That's what he's there for, to take the game on. But I'm not sure about him there. As for the Gold Coast, didn't Ben King say, you know, after Essendon arrested the lead for the first time in the game almost, didn't he say, I'm going to win it back for the Gold Coast? Kicked a great goal, took a great mark and missed the goal to to level the score. That would have been the Hollywood finish had he kicked both. Um, otherwise, I think Noah Anderson's getting a bit tired, to be honest. Um, Swallow, pretty good. Took Miller, okay, but... I felt that Essendon probably had the muscle to win the game, but they just, you know, they've got a few players that are they're carrying a bit or, or, or are in the team by dint of lack of numbers. I thought, you know who did well, except he made a couple of blues, but otherwise he was very good, was um, Clark. Is that his name? Uh, yeah, yeah, Dylan Clark, yeah. A no, couple, couple, couple of blues, but I thought he was good. Great rundown tackle. Yeah, um, and that was weird. Why was Rutten laughing? That was not a point in the game to be laughing, because you see, yeah. you saw what happened with the free kick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it was the realization that uh, Rutten's yeah. laughing. Worsfold can't be moved even when the siren goes for a draw. What? It, it was just weird. And the umpiring. Don't you reckon that game was under umpired? There was some there was some brutality going on, like in the ruck, and the umpires didn't seem to care. Yeah, well, yeah, no, possibly. I'll, I'll say one thing about this game, Finey. We've probably over-discussed it at this stage, I think. Well, it was uh, interesting. Very interesting game uh, of footy. No, it was. It was entertaining and certainly a grandstand finish. All right, that is our Round 11 review. Let's preview Round 12. On Footyology. Previews. With Punch. 
Okay, round 12 kicks off Thursday evening with a Sydney derby or the Battle of the Bridge or the Battle of Balmain or I don't know, whatever. Hang on, well, where's the game being played? Ah, uh, actually, very good point. It's being played in Perth. <laughs> yeah, well, that, so work out what battle that is. Uh, I'm trying to think of a Perth suburb that starts with B. Uh, and I can't, uh, but I'm sure you'll come up with one. Sydney taking on GWS, uh, 6.10 local time, 8.10 Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and, well, yeah, I can't say I'm overly enthused about this one. Sydney, gee, they, they've had a crack. I mean, look, it's a really young side. They're missing key players, as they have all season. They keep hanging in there and, and giving it a crack, but there's just too many games. They simply don't have the personnel to be winning, basically. And GWS, well, got out of jail against Essendon last week, didn't they? Yeah, almost five, well, basically five goals down pretty late in proceedings. Peeled off uh, four goals in the last quarter to uh, deliver the points, but they're not a side that you're looking at and thinking they're a serious premiership threat at the moment. Mind you, you didn't think that last season, even two weeks before the start of the final. So we know they're capable, but uh, they'd want to be playing some better footy than they are at the moment. That being said, though, uh, they have to be the winners here. They've just got uh, far more class, far more experience and uh, far more winning form and do the swan. So uh, GWS pretty easily for mine. What say you? Yeah, I can't. I can't say that uh, Sydney have not been without valour, but uh, they have not been also without uh, four quarter ability to win a game of football. Uh, interesting sending those two teams over to Perth. Which is a strange fixture, isn't it? Oh, I'm tipping uh, GWS, but if they don't focus, this is of course one of those games. I guess that we have not concentrated on, but I think history says that, like most derbies, derbies, showdown, battles of bulges and bridges and whatevers, they throw up some odd results occasionally. I know GWS won before time, and I, I, I wouldn't take it too much as a fait accompli. I, I'll tip GWS with, with a cautionary tale that they'd better not take it for granted. Uh, I just thought of a Perth suburb that starts with B, okay. Bull Creek. Bullshit. Oh, sorry, a Bull, and, Bull Creek. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think Simon Black played his footy for Bull Creek, as a matter of fact. Correct me if I'm wrong. All right, so we are both going for GWS. Friday night, 7.50 local time, uh, which being Metricon Stadium, the venue is uh, Melbourne time. It is, and this, well, we've, we've had some big games in the last uh, couple of weeks. This is as big as any right at the moment, given the form both have showed last start. Geelong playing Port Adelaide, of course. Uh, the Cats destroying St Kilda the other night, and Port Adelaide coming off a uh, what most people are saying was the game of the season, a terrific win for the power over Richmond. Um, this could be a ripper to watch. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's going to be a great game. Geelong were so beautifully prepared for the St Kilda game. Um, can they be as well prepared or is it possible to prepare as well for Port Adelaide? Look, Dixon is the most imposing forward in the comp at the moment, I reckon. Tom Hawkins included. With due respect to Tom, he's going well, but Dixon's doing it against 
big opposition and only he's kicking a goal, letting him down. But what he's doing is he's attracting a crowd and creating great opportunities for a flotilla of opportunistic small and mid-sized forwards. So he's doing his job brilliantly. I'm tipping Port Adelaide on the back of Ollie Wines finding form. And I think that means a sustained period of form if history is anything to go by. I like their dual ruck combination that we saw last week. Hasn't Laddams proved to be a revelation from your villain in what movies are they? Uh, Die Hard. Yeah, he's gone from Die Hard villain to Port Adelaide. Albert, Port, where are they from? Alberton? Alberton. Alberton yeah. Thrillin. From villain to thrillin. Give it up, Fanny. Just tip Port, which I'm doing. Yeah, uh, same here. This is not, ordinarily this is a game, the sort of game where I'd be tipping Geelong, but um, and Geelong's record over Port's very convincing too. I think Port beat them in their last meeting, but that was their first win over Geelong in about a dozen attempts. Um, but the thing that really sways me here is the fact that Geelong is by no means a young side. They've got uh, a pretty old twenty-two, and the Power have got two days extra break on the Cats. And I think coming to the end of this footy, mini footy marathon, I think preparation this week could be pretty important. Two days extra rest is fairly significant, I think. And uh, that's the thing in the end that is going to sway me to also tipping Port Adelaide. Good logic. So both going for Port there. All right, uh, let's move to Saturday. First on the agenda... And surprise, surprise, we're back to Metricon Stadium. Won't be any grass left on that thing by the end of this weekend. It is North Melbourne taking on Brisbane at 2.35pm and uh, could be a bit of a look-away-now job, Finey, because this one could get pretty ugly. Yeah, um, it could be a romp. It really could be because North Melbourne at the moment are certainly feeling the obvious lack of a midfield and they have not been able to come up with the right formula. They have a forward line that now is Nick Larkey centric. That's good. He's a promising young tall forward. That being said, they've um, not really done much at the drop of the ball either. I'd love to know what their goal, who their goal kickers this year are, you know, what their numbers are. I might check that during the next break, but uh, I don't think they're very high. As for Brisbane, they'll feast on no midfield opposition. Lockie Neal, I mean, you know, um, who's the tagger that hasn't played for North for two and a half years that he was playing? Oh, um, oh how are we going? Uh, Jacobs. That's right, Ben Jacobs. Well done. Uh, that's that's uh, a player long forgotten but much needed against Lockie Neal and Zorko. Now, they'll get silver service, expect, I think, do you reckon Cameron will play? He was sort of checking his knee out a bit. Might be a time to rest him. Even if they don't rest him, they're going to win by a lot, Rowan. Yes. Even uh, if they do rest him, I mean. Absolutely agree on that front. Uh, could be, uh, well, what do you do in those point spreads? You go, what's the highest margin? 73 plus. Yeah, could be, a few, could be a few dollars wagered on that uh, point spread. All right, Saturday, 5.10 at the Gabba. Melbourne playing Collingwood. <laughs> I know it's still hard not to laugh at an a, a incongruous line like that. Is it Melbourne Collingwood at the Gabba? 
I mean, we uh, should we should remember that the early games at the SCG and the Gabbard were non Brisbane and Sydney games. Yeah, they didn't exist really. You know, they were promotional games, and so I guess it's not ridiculous to have two Victorian teams playing. True, the true. No, I, I remember Essendon playing Hawthorne at the Gabba in nineteen eighty one. Yep, with the dog track. Uh, yes, correct. Uh, so, but this is a, a season defining clash almost for these two teams. Uh, Melbourne finding some decent form and Collingwood scrapping around, getting some wins despite their injuries. Uh, how do you see this one unfolding? You know, I reckon, I reckon they've been pitched together at about a time when they're even. You know, Melbourne, as you say, just finding a little bit of form and Wiedemann showing a little bit in that forward line, a famous Collingwood name, but a bit of a target now because I Pickett would have taken confidence out of his lovely goal on the... I was going to say on the weekend, whatever day they played. Um, but he's not only hitting the uh, ball... It actually was the weekend. There it was. Go. That was Sunday. Hitting the ball hard and getting a return for it. They had a romp in the end, and that's exactly what they needed. And they're going to play a much better team. But I'm going to tip Melbourne because Collingwood are just susceptible to teams that are willing to take a bit of a roll of the dice and score. Now, it's not easy to get the ball off Collingwood, and they might make Melbourne look silly, but I've got a feeling that in the end, they're going to have to kick the ball into a forward line that better not rely too much on Darcy Cameron and still isn't totally functional, and that's where Melbourne have their best opportunity because I reckon Lever and May are going as well as a pair that as they have since they've been thrust together, and they're almost now formidable. They're really playing well as a duo, each taking turns for forays and adventurous runs while the other stays back and sort of minds the shop, and I think it's working out all right for them. So I'm going to tip Well, uh, well I'm, I'm just having a look here. Did we actually got official teams for this game? Because I'm, I'm not seeing no, them on no, the no. eight. No, I think in this period you only have to put them in the day before. Yeah, well... Oh, okay. Yeah, no, fair enough. Well, uh, personnel is going to decide this one for me. I yeah, mean... Pendlebury, uh, obviously. Well, yeah, a lot of speculation about him coming back. I mean, um, Hoskin Elliott could come back. Uh, ben Reid, who they managed last start, he might get another crack. So that makes a pretty big difference, not to mention the availability of Max Gorn. So... Those ins or outs would probably decide my tip, I think. Uh, sorry, did you say you're going for the Pies there? No, I'm going for Melbourne. You're going for Melbourne. Okay. Uh, look, I, it, I might suffer from Hawthorne syndrome a bit with the Pies too. I've got enormous respect for their ability to conjure victories when things are going against them. Um, yeah, not overly impressive against Adelaide, but... I think they're capable of grinding out a win when it's needed. I think Melbourne, in contrast, does have a bit of a tendency to be a little too easily pleased with how it's going. And, uh, yes, they're playing better footy, but I uh, wouldn't be getting carried away with a big win over North Melbourne at this stage. I think this will be pretty close. Uh, I'm going for the Pies by kick. Okay. So we differ on that one. All right, uh, Saturday... Back to Perth, 6.10 local time, 8.10 in Eastern Australia. It is Fremantle taking on Carlton. And uh, the Blues been resident in Perth for a while now. Not terrible against the Eagles and uh, looked the better team for a half. But once the Eagles cranked into action, um, you really did see the gap in class there. And Freo, well, 
we wrapped them up earlier after that impressive win last start. I think they're starting to build something. Uh, just look a more reliable outfit to me, the Dockers, than do the Blues at this stage, who have this disturbing tendency, finally, as they would be painfully aware, to give up runs of goals and really just tune out for far too long a periods. Uh, Dockers could also get back a couple of big names too in Michael Walters and Jesse Hogan and uh, the Blues probably without Jack Martin who's been important for them so far this year. So on that basis I'm finding it hard to recommend a tip for the Blues. I think uh, I, I think they'll hang in there. I think this might be pretty tight but I'm going for Frio to win this one. Yeah, that's an easy tip Frio. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy game but it's an easy tip because they've they're looking very comfortable. It's going to be uh, as big a crowd as you can summons at Optus All. Actually, Carlton get a good following there. They had a good following against West Coast, but you know it's a they do they they, they played they're playing Freo at the wrong time in the wrong place. There is a time and a place where you tip Carlton, but not this week against Fremantle. With all of a sudden things running very nicely for club and coach, so definitely Fremantle. Actually, it's interesting, Carlton's following in Perth. I've noticed that over a long time, and I remember asking someone about it, and they had a theory that a lot of it had to do with the names Bazusto, Hunter, uh, Ditchburn. Um, there's probably Doritich. a couple of them. Uh, Doritich, yeah. But they did produce Ralph. quite, yes. And they had a, there was a fairly, fairly strong connection between Claremont and Carlton from memory too. So... Uh, yep, they're certainly not short of supporters over there and uh, they might be doing it tough because we both think the home side is going to win that one. All right, that's Saturday. Let's move to Sunday at, once again at Metricon Stadium, 1.05 local time. It is the Western Bulldogs taking on Adelaide finally and uh, did I say finally? Finey. And <laughs> once again, I reckon Western once Bulldogs again, would be saying finally. Well, yeah, it might be a case of avert your eyes because this one could get ugly as well. You know what? Exactly right. Dogs aren't the best team in the comp, but they're looking to stick their fangs into somebody because they get their fangs stuck into them sometimes. And their ups and downs, their good and bad is different, but I think they will prey on Adelaide, enjoy the freedom that comes with knowing that seven goals will win you the game and score 15. A comfortable win for the Bulldogs for mine. Uh, yeah, ditto. Uh, I'm feeling sorry for the Crows. I feel sorry for their players, actually. I don't necessarily feel sorry for their administration because there's still some very big question marks about it. It's like feeling sorry for Sarah Palin. <laughs> yeah, Sarah Palin. It's a blast from the past. What does it tell you about the state of the American political landscape that you look at Sarah Palin as a voice of reason <laughs> these days? Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, uh, Bulldogs comfortably for both of us there. All right, uh, we're, we're both very interested in this one. At the Gabba, 3.35, Sunday afternoon, your Saints taking on the Bombers. All right, you, you lead the way on this one. Like I said in my review of Long St Kilda, it only makes, I, I, you know, it, it was a, you can only call that a reality check and not a bubble bursting if they can come out and beat Essendon. And the Essendon that I saw against Gold Coast is eminently beatable. But eminently, they're, they're, they're sort of cagey and brave, but they're going to lose Zaharakis. And that might not mean a lot normally, but he did kick three important goals. And 
James Stewart, he looks sore when he runs as well. You know, I wonder if he can come up in a short period of time. He's, he copped a hard knock. He copped did a cop really a very hard, hard knock. knock. That would be six of their 11 goals. They could ill afford to lose both of them. Uh, they'll welcome back a couple of players. I imagine Sam Draper uh, was being set aside for this game. He's a ripper, by the way. And Hurley will certainly come back into the team. So that will be a help. St Kilda have um, sort of signalled that they're going to bring back Ross and Zach Jones and Paddy Ryder. So some big names to come back there. And I'm tipping the Saints. Uh, I'm tipping the Saints too. Uh, you can't. Having said that, Jade Gresham is a big loss for them. Oh, isn't yes, he? very big. Uh, loss. Very big. Um, and yeah, look, good to see Essendon. Uh, they have to bring Sam Draper back. I mean, he won't be able to execute the sort of double cobras that Tom Bell Chambers does, but he might actually offer him a bit around the ground. Um, do you like that whack? Actually, no, Bell Chambers played one of his better games last night, but the Fair to say the double cobra didn't impress me much. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Sheena. Kale, Kale, Kale Hooker. Um, Shania, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, that don't impress me much. Yes. Yeah, Sheena was, Sheena was uh, my baby takes the morning train. Yeah, Shania. Yeah, we're all the same. Yeah, well, you know what? Tom Bell Chambers can get on the morning train and keep going. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, uh, Kale Hooker may return for the Bombers. Haven't seen him for a while. Hurley, you'd think, has to come back. Uh, pretty much managed for last night's game. Yeah, look, they'll. I, I just, I, I foresee St Kilda having too much run and league speed here for the Bombers. It's funny, isn't it? Because there was a period there last year where we were looking at Essendon and saying, "Gee, they're quick." I don't know what's happened to all that pace. You know, one guy we didn't really talk about him in the review of their game, but. Gee, Anthony McDonald, tip and wordy. I was just, just thinking about him. He, well, play, he it, starts every game with 10 minutes to go. Yeah, and you know what? It's funny. My my son, David, doesn't watch a lot of footy, but he sat down to watch the first quarter of that with me last night. And the first thing he said was, geez, Tipper looks fat. And I had a look at him and he's he appeared to be carrying a bit of condition. He so, needed every uh, bit of it. He got... He got absolutely poleaxed. He was the only footballer in the comp that could have got up from the hit that he got last night. Yeah. Look, uh, yeah, St Kilda disappointing last start, but um, they've got plenty of pluses. I think Butler will be keen to uh, respond from that pretty invisible performance on his part. I I just don't think Essendon's got a good enough list of players. You know, sometimes you can't overanalyze it. It's just a simple statement of fact. Yep. Yep. And uh, St Kilda wins that one for me. All right. Next game on the Sunday agenda, 4.10 local time, local being Perth. Uh, So 6.10 Eastern Australia. We are at Optus Stadium for West Coast and Hawthorne. And there's two teams that have had some fierce finals battles against each other. Of course, a grand final only five years ago, won convincingly by the Hawks. Well, they won't be winning this one convincingly, Finey, because West Coast I do have a bit of a, a habit of uh, just going into cruise mode when they're playing sides that they should be expected to win. But when things got serious against Carlton, they switched on and they were dominant. And I don't think Hawthorne's in the sort of place where it can really mount much of a challenge, particularly midfield. We've talked a bit about Hawthorne's midfield depth and questioned that. Well, when you're up against the likes of Elliot Yo, Dom Sheed, Tim Kelly, Andrew Gaff, Luke Shuey, and of course the Colossus 
that is Nick Natanui in the ruck. Boy, that is an imposing, imposing midfield group. And then up forward, Kennedy, Darling, Waterman, Allen, uh, and then down back where they team together beautifully. Uh, they've got all the pieces in place, the Eagles. I reckon they're going to give this year's flag a very, very big shake. And I think they'll be picking Hawthorne up and shaking the Hawks around too and having a pretty good win. Anything I add would be superfluous. Very well surmised West Coast for both of us. One game to go, I think, in the round. One game to go. And it is Richmond taking on Gold Coast. And that is Monday evening. And that will signal the end of Footy Fest. Uh, What a time it's been. Great days. Good times. Richmond playing Gold Coast. Gold Coast, uh, you wouldn't say hitting the skids because they've lost three of this. Well, they've drawn one and lost two games narrowly in their last four. So they haven't been far away, but just subsiding in performance terms bit by bit. Richmond, they'll be keen to respond uh, from that loss to Port Adelaide. It's an interesting performance by the Tigers. Statistically, they got absolutely smashed in just about every area, but their efficiency when they do have the ball and their efficiency when they're near goal is such that um, they can hang in a game even when well below their best. Uh, I think they've got a bit of a message to send out in this game that they're still very, very much a flag contender. They're still my tip for the flag, Finey. I think they'll win this one pretty comfortably over the Suns. What say you? I reckon the Suns are going to get smashed. You know, uh, they've been brave, don't get me wrong, but... Oh, there was that, you know, and that last half, Essendon just dominated inside 50s. And Gold Coast could not get the ball in transition from their back line to the forward line. Now, if Essendon's bits and bobs can do that, with all due respect, Richmond, who's set up beautifully for that sort of harassment, will absolutely hem them into a corner. It'll be like... It'll be like uh, Muhammad Ali versus some of the unknowns that he fought. He will. They will get roper doped. They will get. They will sting like a butterfly and buzz like a bee or whatever. No, sting like a <laughs> sting like a bee and and kick goals like butterflies and. Uh, quit while you're behind, Fanny. Well behind, uh, way behind. But Richmond for mine. Uh, Richmond for mine as well. All right, we're just about done here, as is Footy Fest. It's been a uh, a hot time in the old town tonight. There's another stupid uh, line from Mike Williamson, (laughs) circa 1975 grand final. Quick shout-out to our wonderful sponsors, Finey. Oh, you can just put them side by side. The Great Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, simply the best burgers in Melbourne. And Nick Spartel's West Point Property, simply the best builds southeastern inner suburban Melbourne. Back to you, Rohan. Now, just before we finish off, a lot of people will be pleased I'm not going to talk about our big announcement because it's been made. And if you don't know what it is, I suggest you head to the Footyology website. Just we brilliant. Have ex- just brilliant. Well, I've got to say I'm quite overwhelmed at the response the last few days. It's been very, very gratifying. So thank you so much, everyone, for your support. If you haven't checked it out, head to Footyology. We've expanded our range. We're now talking about film we're talking about TV, we're talking about music, we're talking about society, and we have recruited some of the best writers in the business, names such as Martin Flanagan, Francis Leach, Angela Pippos, Shelley Ware, Scott Goodings. We have got a 
treasure trove of quality writing on the Footyology website. And uh, we'd love you to be part of that. Please support us on Patreon, where a, uh, a monthly donation will see you able to take on all that content. Thanks for your support, everyone. We will see you on Sunday. Sunday.